Welcome to Good Returns TV. I'm Philip McAllister, and all the way from London, we have uh, Tim Edwards from uh, Standard & Poor's. Tim, tell me, what's your role at Stan? Hi, Philip. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, it's nice to have you back in the studio. I, uh, so, yeah, my name's Tim. I work for S&P Dow Jones Indices, uh, and I'm the global head of a group called Index Investment Strategy. Uh, our mandate is to offer people um, insights, education and context uh, around the role of indices as benchmarks, investment tools uh, and trading tools. And so your big project is Spiva, is that correct? It's one of the uh, more high profile uh, research products that we, we put out. Yeah. So Spiva's reached its 20 year anniversary. Do you want to just talk a little bit about what Spiva is and what it does? Sure. Uh, so Spiva is an acronym. It's mm -hmm. uh, S&P Index versus Active. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we've been republishing publishing the report every six months for 20 years in the US, uh, for 10 years in Australia, and for a, a slightly less time in a, in a range of other global um, markets. What we do, uh, the most quoted statistic is uh, we will look at the uni available universe of actively managed funds. Uh, we'll categorize them. So, you know, are they large cap? Are they emerging market? Are they, are they value or growth? Uh, and then we'll report on a regular basis how many of those actively managed funds manage to beat the appropriate benchmark. So, for example, how many large cap US equity managers beat the S&P 500 this year, over the last three years, five years, 10 years and so on. And so what have you found over the last 20 years of this research? Well, uh, look, it's a really rich uh, data source and, I, and I, 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 we could, I could spend all day talking about it, but if I just summarize, here are a few things that one will observe from 20 years of these reports across a lot of different markets. First of all, um, in most markets, most of the time, a majority of actively managed funds underperform the appropriate benchmark. And as that time horizon extends from one year to five years or 10 years, an increasingly small number of funds seem able to outperform. We recently did a, a special 30-year analysis mm. uh, and found that uh, among US actively managed domestic equity funds, large cap funds, 98% of funds either didn't survive the period or survive but didn't beat the benchmark. So there's a small pool of active managers who do actively do outperform the benchmark, is that, and, and is it the same managers, or does, uh, we, it, does it vary? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So there's a, there's a companion report we do that looks at persistence. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you believe in, in, in skill, and, and I certainly do believe that there are you know, more skilled and, and less skilled investors, you should expect that uh, there, there should be some managers who uh, not only do they outperform, but if they've outperformed over the last five years, then they're more likely to outperform over the next five years. Um, and that's what we examine in our persistence reports. We look at within that universe, uh, do funds that were outperforming continue to outperform and vice versa, the ones that underperform keep underperforming. And what we've found there, um, I, I think is, is a more surprising statistic. So the first thing we found is there is very little evidence of persistence at the three and five year horizon in terms of those managers who were outperforming their peers staying on top of the pack. So it's different managers. Each it is, yeah, year. it is, yeah. it is. Okay. Um, what is really surprising about that is it really challenges our perceptions about how easy it is to identify a, a manager that might perform that in the future. Because if you were trying to identify a skilled manager, one way you might look for it is, is to look at those who outperformed in the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other find, and the other findings you're going to mention? The other, well, actually, a little bit less surprising. Um, so there is over 
years and decades, it's actually quite a high attrition rate in, in the fund industry. Funds do disappear, they get merged or liquidated. Mm -hmm. um, and one, this may not surprise you. If, you. if you look at that, you know, in the last five years, what happened, in the next five years, what happened, um, underperforming funds, those that are performing the worst, they tend to be the most likely to be to be wound up or closed. Yeah, and 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 tell me how you know index investing is, is I call it a big craze at the moment. How big is that? Can you quantify it? Uh, I can't quantify entirely, um, but uh, every year we publish and make freely available uh, for anyone uh, who wishes to, to, to find it. The phrase you would search your preferred search engine for is survey of indexed assets. Um, what we do is every year, once a year, uh, we will survey all of our institutional clients, so those who are tracking an index, mm -hmm. maybe not through a fund, just themselves, you know, what's, which stocks in which proportions. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we add that to all the assets in index funds, ETFs, uh, and so on. And then we publish once a year an aggregated statistic across all our indices of what are the amounts of capital, tracking our indices, benchmark to our indices, uh, and so on. Um, in the case of US equities, um, I think the S&P number is a reasonable proxy for the total number. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at other markets, obviously there's, there's other index providers and we would only represent a, you know, mm -hmm. a fraction. In, in the US, it's a significant fraction. Uh, based on, on the most uh, recent numbers available, and it does take us a while to, to publish, so the most recent numbers I have is a 2021, um, you can estimate that perhaps a quarter to a third of all of the US equity market in the S&P 500 is being tracked passively by index-based investors. Yeah, and so do you have a number of how much? Uh, yeah, so it works out, I think the uh, it's around $7 trillion directly tracking in products. Uh, and another $9 trillion roughly, which, are, which is benchmarked. So that's actively managed, but with the S&P 500 as yeah, a benchmark. Yeah. And, 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 and so, so what's driving all this money into index funds? Well, um, let me say two things. First of all, uh, index funds are not a new invention. The first index fund came along actually 50 years ago, mm -hmm. or slightly more than 50 years ago. Um, and I think over that 50 years, the primary driver of interest or adoption in passive-based products has been the conclusion that, you know, yes, investors do want to get access to a market like New Zealand equities or US equities, but no, they don't think they have the ability to identify either, you know, the stocks themselves that will outperform mm. or the managers that will outperform. And the availability of low-cost solutions to just capture the entire market uh, at one point, I think, was used as settling for average, but our as our Spaceva statistics show, it's not actually settling for average compared to, to, to the active alternatives. Mm. It's often above average. Mm. The second thing that I want to say, just in context, right, so, so that number, mm -hmm. you know, trillions of dollars, that includes, for example, ETFs, which are exchange-traded, and are actually used quite actively. Mm -hmm. Um, and the traditional notion of an indexed or passive investor is, is maybe someone who you know, puts some of their pension pot in a, in a low-cost index fund mm -hmm. and then closes the box and you know, pop, opens it for 40 years to see if they're rich or not. And well done them. They've been, they've been very patient, very long time. However, that is not the majority of people that are using index-based products. If you look at some of the trading volumes um, mm -hmm. in ETFs and so on, uh, you'll see that, yes, there is a community that, that are just making long-term strategic allocations, 
Uh, but there are also plenty of investors who are using S&P 500 funds or country funds or sector funds in order to make quite tactical uh, and, and frequently adjusted allocations. So the, another way of saying this is that people are being active with passive products. And I actually think that's a, that's a fundamental so, component of what... So, so if, if, if you say that you know, active fund management doesn't work, and I think that's what you're saying, um, is the debate around active versus passive now dead? So I, first of all, uh, I qualify that. In just about every scorecard that we that we have um, over any time period, even on the 30-year US Beaver, there were managers in there who were outperforming. So it's not true to say that you know it's just that what's what's your chance of picking one of those outperforming managers? But more subtly, or, or more importantly, we are all active managers. If you have any investments, you've made a decision. How much am I going to make into the equity markets versus defensive asset like bonds or a, a, a you know very conservative asset like cash? How much do you have in your own uh, other investments like property, loans and so on? You have needs for income. You have a time horizon that you're investing for. You have a risk tolerance. You have a growth preference. Mm. Matching the right portfolio to those needs is, first of all, an active solution. No, no index provider is mm. going to tell you what to do. Uh, secondly, you'll need to then manage your portfolio and your behavior and your instincts mm. over time. The question really is, where do you want to invest your time? Mm. Is it in thinking about the top-level portfolio construction? Mm. Or is it about on the narrow basis of thinking, should I have this manager or that manager managing my bond portfolio for me? So just thinking about it, if, you know, Active management isn't providing the results that people expect. Here in New Zealand, you know, we have KiwiSaver and a lot of the mm -hmm. a lot of the offerings are active managers. So therefore, based on what you're finding, is they won't be outperforming the indices. So, uh, are we not providing a good outcome for our KiwiSaver members if they're stuck in these sorts of well, products? Look, um, it is. Look, let's take a step back. Uh, I consider myself a a. a Average at best investor, uh, perhaps you're the same. Um, like, but my, like my driving, <laughs> we we could both uh, we could both invest you know, moderately actively. We could we could pick some stocks in in the New Zealand stock market. Mm. You know, pick a few each that we like. We could roll the clock forward thirty years, and you know what? We could have both achieved our, our investment objectives. Mm. Right? It is not true to say that investing overall is is a zero sum game. To some extent, everyone can win, and in the long term. Growth assets like equities have actually helped participants in yes. the long term. What, what, what's it, what, what the distinction is, is outperformance is a zero-sum game, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, if I need one to be above average, I need someone to be below average. Yeah. So I think there, you know, there, there is a subtlety there. It's, it's not about uh, necessarily saying that you know, actively picking stocks is going to fail or in some sense. But the key question is, could you have perhaps done a little bit better by uh, using a low-cost index fund, benefiting from, from diversification? And the data suggests that in the long term, um, it's hard to identify managers who are going to beat the market, especially in the long term. And just finally, before we finish, one of the things you said you have surprised your New Zealanders um, climate has come up in all these meetings you've been having. Yeah, that's right. Why? So I, why? I've been uh, I've been here in New Zealand meeting with with, with a range of, uh, of inve investors and stakeholders and uh, you know, people like exchanges. Um, and one of the unprompted questions that has come uh, up time and time again uh, from clients is, 
how should we think about climate-based investing? What are you doing in climate-based investing? And and it, it's it's been a pleasant surprise for me because it's actually something that we as, a, as an index provider have been investing in quite heavily. We've seen a, a lot of consensus emerging, uh, particularly in Europe around, you know, the notion of, of what's called Paris aligned benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And it means, you know, aligning a portfolio with a, with a 1.5 degree increase in, in pre-industrial levels. It surprised me that this seems to be really top of mind for, for investors in New Zealand at the moment. I don't know whether it's because of the recent uh, extreme weather. I don't know whether it's because of uh, what's going on with the, with the TCFD and, and reporting requirements. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I wouldn't like to speculate, but one thing that really surprised me and I wasn't suspecting, mm. expecting, uh, was the interest in a climate-based approach to investing that has been expressed by the people I've been meeting in New Zealand this week. Oh, that might be something for our next meeting. Look, thanks for your time, Tom. It's great to have you in the studio and, and I hope the rest of your trip goes well. Thanks Cheers. for having me, Philip. Yeah, pleasure.